What's up, friends? Kalen and Phil are back behind the microphone for another episode of the Modern Day Sniper podcast. Guys, we are really, really sorry for the hiatus. Things have been absolutely crazy uh, for, for both of us, and that's a good thing. But um, then again, we apologize for the, for the delay here. So for those of you guys, uh, this is your first time listening to the podcast. So what is the Modern Day Sniper podcast all about? It is a podcast that circulates around prevent presenting you, excuse me, presenting you with the latest and most up-to-date relevant information in the space of sniping, both military and law enforcement, competitive shooting, the training industry of competitive shooting and precision rifle, and the the enthusiast and the recreational shooter out there. And we're just here to communicate relevant information information to you. So uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. And Phil, how's it going, man? It's been a while. What's up, buddy? Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Um, no, it's good. It's uh, The summer's been busy. I, I think, uh, you know, for both training um, industries, because the summer allows our customers, obviously, free time, no school and stuff like that, especially those that have families, to get out and i think that's for us the busiest time of year so it's definitely been um it's, it's been a, it's a bit been a busy summer but a good summer because it's it's always nice to get back in front of students and you know brush that dust off and and uh you know start for me start learning again right learning different body mm-hmm. mechanics learning how to uh, uh convey information or whatever um there's not a class that i don't take away something that's like oh that's cool that i was able to relate it or you know make an analogy for this student because that's an, until like I tried this way, try this way. Okay. Let me try this way that I've never done before, but he gets it. It's like, okay, now mm-hmm. that's another tool in my toolbox that I can probably just go to at first because you know, if he gets it, then everyone else should get it. If I try that, that approach first. So that's good. Yeah. Or, or you notice like a lot of times you pick up on students learning styles, right? You yeah. pick up on their learning style or their personality traits. Um, we actually just did a really cool, um, a really cool, uh, learning modality style test that we're going to put up on the website. And, um, we found this test through, um, a vetted source and it was available open source. And so we just said, Hey, let's put it up on the website. Cause it's really cool to test your ability to, um, your learning ability, whether you learn from one of the three ways, whether it be, you know, visual auditory or kinesthetic. And, uh, you go through, you know, yeah, maybe it takes like 30 minutes or so. You go through a couple of tests and, and it shows you um, if you if you learn like this, then you will most likely also learn like this and this. Or it, like if you do something, um, if you have a certain manner or a certain activity um, or personality trait or quirk, then you will most likely learn this way type thing. So it's pretty cool. So we've had a couple of classes too and it's the same thing, dude. Getting in front of people again is awesome. It's, uh, it's really cool. I know we talked about that on the last episode, but even since then, it's just even been better to get in front of people. It's just been such a bizarre, a bizarre first half of the year. Like obviously, undoubtedly it's been nuts. So, but with that being said, man, um, we, uh, what are we talking about today? I think, uh, we we're are going to talk about the, the, cut, the uh, cyber side cup and then a comment came yeah. out today. Uh, yeah, we I were. It was, was pretty cool. Yeah, because that that comment is it kind of it's going to tie into the Hyde Cup, which is um, uh, we shot that two weekends ago, and that was a it was a ton of fun. Frank and Carl, 
and uh and clint always put on a really good event up there it's a beautiful venue to shoot but um the comment that i that i i think we should touch on uh i got tagged in a in a post and and it was an individual that was um appeared to be you know newly exposed to the competitive space in in shooting and um had a lot of questions oriented around um, why are these specific stereotypes there regarding uh, fundamentals of marksmanship? And the first question was, you know, um, wouldn't it make more? Wouldn't it make the most sense to use the lightest trigger weight that you can safely utilize to enhance the the accuracy of a rifle? I'm 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 paraphrasing there, but I think that's the gist of the question. That's exactly. You've got really great memory, unless it's right in front of your face. It's but not. I'm, in I'm actually looking at it right all. now. No, that's that's good. It's that's, not. That's, <laughs> Um, it, you know, my wife tells me that she's like, you have a goddamn photographic memory. You know that? And I guess maybe I do, but, um, but I can't remember names for, for nothing, man. Me and names are terrible. I'm sorry guys. Yeah. But I think that that, I mean, so that, that seems like it would be a question coming from somebody that's like, they've only been exposed to the competitive shooting space where we have, um, very purpose oriented equipment that's being used to, uh, to shoot these events. And I think, um, there's a lot of things, a lot of layers to that question because there's the, there's the aspect of, of fundamentals. There's the aspect of the components of your precision shooting system. And then, you know, the act of actually shooting a rifle match. So why don't you take, why don't you hit it off? You said something earlier before we hit this about that comment with trigger control that I really liked. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the, uh, the end of his, 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 uh, his comment was how much, uh, or how often do you see lingering, but obsolete traditions still carrying influence in our shooting today? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of his comment goes into, um, you know, the machoism from uh, military of, you know, good trigger control it comes with, you know, um, heavy triggers, blah, 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 what, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, when, when you commented, you actually had a little bit, bit of, uh, in-depth, uh, uh, comment. Um, I was in the middle of something, but I thought it was a great question and I just wanted to see where the comments would take it. Yeah. So I, I put a little get a, a gif of uh, popcorn, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of, and people think I was just trolling. It's like, literally, I just, no, wanted, I'm just trying to keep track. I'm trying to keep track of this uh, post because it was a legitimate thought provoking yeah. uh, uh post just to see where everyone's standpoints are at right and, and and stuff like that so having seen obviously the military side of the house having seen the hunting side of the house now having being a, a competitor for a couple of years you know there is essentially um you know e- each discipline is going to require its own um ideology ideology of you know what um a, a good trigger weight is, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, it goes back to safety and how well you can, uh, uh effectively, but safely manipulate that trigger without this. Stir- so let's define trigger control. Trigger mm-hmm. control is a skillful ma- manipulation of the trigger that causes the rifle to fire without causing the weapon or reticle to move when side picture is at its best. So essentially once you press the trigger, you're not disturbing anything with that rifle so that you're coming off target in, in during the shot process. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, what we had talked about before the podcast was, okay, well for me as a competitive shooter, 
Um, if I have a part time of 90 seconds on a, you know, 10 shot barricade, uh, five positions, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I can easily run that with a three pound trigger, but I'm probably going to use all 90 seconds or I might time out because, you know, if my goal is to clean that stage with a three pound trigger, it's probably going to take me, you know, uh, six to seven sh- uh, seconds per position, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, get good shots off so that I'm not again, going back to that trigger. I'm not, uh, manipulating that weapon as I jerk the trigger on target. Whereas on a lighter trigger, like a, you know, 10 to 12 ounce trigger that I run, it takes me three to five seconds to take two shots. Right. So now expand that over, uh, uh five, uh, five positions. I've just saved, you know, 15 to 30 seconds, right. Mm-hmm. On just, um, on that aspect itself. Right. So, right. um, you know, but that in, in itself, you know, goes back to, okay. For me, one thing that I, I would say that, um, really helped my trigger control was learning on a heavy trigger. Cause you know, the M forties were, uh, what three to five pound trigger trigger presses. Hey man, it's whatever they came out with, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So they were, I mean, it was, it was hit or miss, right? Sometimes you'd have guns, uh, school guns that were super light or so, some of them are like super heavy. Cause you'd get down and then like, you'd be like trying out this, when this is, student's gun. Cause it's like, Oh, my gun's not shooting. Right. <laughs> so you get down and then you're pulling that slack out. And it, if, it, if it's heavy, the very, what's the very first thing you look down at? Is safety. You look down at safety to see if that shit's engaged, and you're like, no, this <laughs> on. This shit is heavy as fuck to pull. So you keep pulling, you keep pulling, and it finally goes off. Then you're like, okay, well, this is a little heavier weight, or you know, you get you done, and it surprises you a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- when I started getting into the competitive space in 2015, obviously my my understanding of lightweight triggers wasn't really there yet, and um, when I you know, shot a competitive shooter's rifle for the first time out at a civilian match. I was like, like holy crap, like this trigger's super light. And I was like, I would never go to a super light trigger, right? It's like, it's like blasphemy. And now I'm up here rocking eight to, or uh, 10 to 12 pound triggers. Well, when I went back and took that, you know, the barricade shooting and stuff like that in, 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 um, in the Marine Corps, you know, I'd get, I'd set up in my position and I'd be like, okay, well, right now, because of my wobble zone, it's going to take me about 10 to 15 seconds to really press, like focus on the shot press, or I need to figure out how to make my position better so I can keep that wobble inside the target. Right. Makes, exactly. Does that make sense? Or yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So that like, if, if I have that, where that reticle is dancing outside of the target, you know, I think traditionally people, if they see that, what they're going to do is they're going to try to time their shot. And I, and I think that's where people think that you get better at shooting. You're just like, Oh, you're just, you're just really good at timing your shots. Like, no, like my, my reticle doesn't move off the target at all. When I'm in the standing kneeling, like sitting now, like I have maybe a, you know, a 0.1, 0.2 wobble inside. Mm-hmm. And you know, that goes into that acceptable side picture that we talk about. But yep. now I can just, once I, you know, build my position and I have good uh, uh, acceptable side picture. Now I'm just focused on a good clean trigger press so that as long as I apply the good fundamentals of marksmanship and the good trigger press, my, my shot should land somewhere inside that wobble zone. Is that kind of what you were? Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the, that's the best way that I could come up with to describe that. Like now I'm not, I'm not going to be the, I'm not going to be the, you know, the, the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, I, my competition rifles have a trigger weight of one and a half pounds. That's just me. That's what I do. Um, I truly don't believe that that is a limitating factor for me. Um, but then again, you know, I've never really 
truly decided to play the game, 100% decided to play the game, right? So um, there's certain aspects that, yeah, like I'll shoot a heavy barrel. I will, I'll shoot a trigger that's, you know, a pound and a half, but my rifle is 17 pounds. It is not like, it is not specifically designed for that task. Um, and so with, with regard to that, yes, you do see a difference when I jump from, a, you know, a competition rifle to a work gun and even a work, I consider a work gun for me, um, a law enforcement sniper weapon system, a military sniper weapon system, or my hunting platform. Yeah. All of those triggers are at three pounds. Like that's just it. They're at three pounds. And although it does take longer to press off a shot on those platforms, again, man, like it's, it's one of those things that, um, yeah, I'd probably time out, you know, I probably would, if I knew, if I was going into a stage, like what you described in your, in your description, I probably would. Yeah. And I would say, um, if you always hear, I, I get the question a lot, like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to build a trainer and, and guys that have trainers, right? Like the exact same identical setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. My trainer is somewhat of the same setup. Uh, the, the couple differences are, um, on my trainer, I actually like to have a heavier trigger and I shoot a 308, uh, instead of a mm-hmm. two, two, three, right. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, okay, reps, reps, reps. That's why the two, two, three light recoil and obviously longer barrel life. But for me, it's, and this is one thing I reiterate in class, it's understanding recoil management is a thing, mm-hmm. right? I need to be able to manage recoil. The name of the game is being able to manage recoil because if you miss, because no one makes perfect wind calls. I need to be able to see that shot so I can make a correction right, and get as, as, as quickly back on target uh, as I can. And, you know, this whole like kind of one shot, one kill kind of mentality almost destroys us in a sense that like, well, if we miss, then what? Right. Yes. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, <clears throat> right. yeah, we're, we're, we're training for that, that first round. Everyone's doing that. But if you miss now, what do you do? You just, you freeze up. You're like, well, I've never trained for this. It's like, no, you yep. fucking hopefully spot your miss make your correction, run the bolt, and then get back on target with your, apply that correction, right? Um, And, you know, when I train with my 308, I'm training to make sure that I can essentially, you know, um, interface with that rifle enough to be able to manage recoil, also have good stability at the same time. Because the more that I, you know, put essentially uh, a pressure in from, from my rifle or from my shoulder to the rifle, the more influence I have, the more wobble I'm going to get. Right. And then as I back off to that freeish recoil that Scott and I kind of talked about, well, now I'm maximizing or I'm increasing my stability, but I'm decreasing my ability to manage recoil. Yes. And it's a trade-off. Yeah. It's a hundred percent trade-off. Um, yeah. I've actually, I've been shooting uh 308 a lot. I've actually, I've probably shot already, you know, 3000 rounds of 308 this year. Um, because it's, it's one of those rifles that will force you recoil management is synonymous with natural point of aim. Yes. And that's, that's something that needs to truly be driven home is that if you have a true natural point of aim and you've got the rifle, the body connection dialed in and it's, and it's firm and the rifle's not getting a running start at you, the rifle will recoil and you will recover from recoil right back on your natural point of aim. And so you don't, you shouldn't have to do much hunting for your sight picture. Now, sometimes, you know, we're shooting at a hundred yards and you're up close trying to shoot one inch dots and stuff or half inch dots. Then, yeah, it's not, 
It's not always going to be there. But so here's some food for thought for you guys. A half of an inch of linear travel, a linear distance on a target at 100 yards is equivalent to three thousandths of an inch at the butt pad. Okay. That's, you move the butt pad three thou, you move the, you move the sights a half an inch. Okay. Yeah. So you start looking at those numbers and it's like, okay, so that's some perspective. And, and that means that you have to have a good solid connection with that rifle. And even if your recoil management is like super solid, if you're coming off the target an inch or two, like, Hey man, that's like what? Nine thousandths of an inch. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty damn good. But at the same time, when you do that at, you know, at a, at a target that's out of distance and it's a little smaller and you're on a, and you're on a barricade position and you're trying to haul ass and move through this and get hits, like it would behoove you to, to really understand what a natural point of aim is and train to know the connection that you have with the rifle. And, and when you see the sight picture, you're going to be able to instantly flash your, your thought process to where's my body at in relationship to the rifle. Because the, the more that you program that into your brain now, you're actually rewiring your brain to do the right thing and have the natural point of aim. And sure, man, can you get away with it? You absolutely can, right? If you want to make that rifle 25 pounds and put it on a sticky bag on a barricade and just kind of balance it there, yeah, it, guess what, dude? It's not going to move. It's not going to move. It might jump a little bit, but it's yeah. not going to move. And that, and that goes back to uh, uh, YouTube, or not YouTube, but Instagram. Uh, heavy rifle on a, on, a, on a bag, right? It goes mm-hmm. to an um, Instagram video I posted about a tip and trick versus fundamental. Mm-hmm. It, fundamentals are you interfacing with that rifle, right? What your body is doing when you connect with that rifle mm-hmm. by laying your rifle on the bag, right? At the balance point, which we all know that trick, right? It helps. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I connect to it, my fundamentals come into play yep. because A, I have to now stabilize that reticle and B, I have to manage recoil. In the yes. case that my wind call is wrong, I can... Uh, I can make an appropriate correction or, you know, other things It could not be good wind call. I mean, a lot of times people grab the wrong dope, right? It Mm -hmm. happens all the time. It's like that first shot in that position is telling you a story. It's telling you a story. Hey, I I, I dialed my dope correctly. My position's good. Is my position good or shitty? And how is my wind call? Right. It tells you those three pieces of information. If you can't, if you can't identify at least two or three of those, when you take that shot, well, guess what? You just, I mean, you just shot that, that round in vain, right? Exactly. (laughs) hundred percent, man. Yeah. Cause the, the thing, the thing with that is, is your body aims the gun when the rifle's connected to you, you're aiming the rifle with your body and may nine out of 10 times. If you're not in the prone, you're aiming it with your, with your, with your legs, meaning either your feet or your knees. All right. So you're either on your feet in a standing position. That's how you aim the gun. You drive it with your feet. And if you're in the kneeling position, you're driving, you're driving the rifle, meaning you're aiming it with your knees. So it, it really is important to understand that. And so a lot of people at first, they try to do this and they're like, man, this takes forever. Cause when we're in class, I want students to not, I tell, I tell my students, I do not want you to take a shot unless you know that that natural point of aim is as solid as you can make it. And if that takes you, five or six iterations of checking your natural point of aim before you press a shot, 
what you're doing, you might think in your brain, you're like, man, I'm not learning anything because I'm not shooting. No, what you're doing is you're programming your brain, you're wiring your brain to recognize where your body's at every single time you take a shot. And if you do that, your body's going to know if you're tweaked, your body's, your brain's going to know if your body's tweaked. Okay. It's going to like, you get into a position, you know, that your that your you, that your center of gravity is jacked up. You know, that you're, you're, you're bladed off from the gun. You know, that your spine is not straight. Like all these indicators are going to, they're going to be like little alarm bells that go off and they're going to say, no, 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 stop, change that. You need to fix that. Pay attention. And the faster you do, or the more you do that, the faster you'll become at it. You'll be, you'll be manipulating your natural point of aim in like, like literally seconds. You'll just know where you need to be. And so, you know, it seems like you're not doing a whole lot, but as, as a matter of fact, you really are. You're doing a lot. Um, something, a couple questions I want to roll into that um, got brought up and it's always a question that I like to talk about, um, is, um, one, uh, should the shots surprise you? Uh, there's, there's, I've, I've transitioned from one thing back to another with that. And, and I think I have a pretty decent, uh, explanation for understanding that, that question mm-hmm. itself. Uh, number two, um, w- because of the direction of the competitive rifle space and the direction it's going, right? Um, where these light triggers are at, what t- kind of common trigger control errors we see now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the very first question I'll ask is, uh, should the shots surprise you? Or what do you, what do you teach? Uh, I teach, I teach no. Um, I want, okay. I want students, um, I want students to understand that they're committing to an action, right? So once you commit to that action, you have to complete it, right? Unless there's, unless there's, you know, something at that very last instant that it's like, okay, we're going to abort this. Meaning like either the condition is unsafe or the wind shifted and you just saw the wind completely die off. You got to change your wind hold, whatever the case may be. I want to know exactly when that rifle is going to go bang because I'm correlating that motion to the sight picture, right? I'm correlating that motion to the sight picture. My, my visual stimulus identifies that I have an acceptable sight picture. My brain says fucking rad, let's press. And once I say let's press, it's, it's one fluid motion to get the rifle to get to fire. And I've done a lot of work with this at a hundred, at the hundred yards on paper on small dots, because what I want to see with you first, you need a, you need a rifle that shoots really well at a hundred yards. Um, and it's got to shoot pretty tight. And what you do is you just set up, you just do dot drills at a hundred yards because those dot drills are going to show you every little thing that you're doing wrong, especially with trigger control. And like we talk about that 90 degree press, it's really difficult to, it's really difficult to press on that trigger, just press, 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 slow press, steady press, whatever you want to call it, um, and and not have your finger wrap around it, right? I, that's just mm-hmm. my train of thought. Because I know yeah. that if, my, if I pull a shot, I, if I miss a shot on a dot drill, it's either high because I didn't shoulder the rifle properly and I was moving too fast, or it's left because I wrapped my finger around the trigger as I pressed it. Okay. Therefore I'm hinging the rifle and pulling the muzzle to the left. Yeah. Like it's one of those things that, cause it, committing to that press and like 
not necessarily, it's not a jerk. It's not jerking the trigger. You're actually just saying, okay, if my trigger's in the right spot, all I got to do is go eh, and press, commit to it, snap, snap the icicle. Um, well, that, I think that for the first time we've, we, we have a, a, a different view. So I, I think for newer shooters, because I used to do the same thing. Like once I figured out trigger control, I was like, oh, the shot's not surprising me. Like I know this trigger inside and out, right? And that comes with a lot of dry firing. That comes with a lot of dry firing with student rifles and then obviously my personal rifles. So then I was like, okay, well, I was teaching. Every good shooter should know their trigger, right? And, and, and when to break the trigger. And then, you know, what I was watching as I was watching this, I mean, I saw a shit ton of jerking, like just like, now right like you just mm -hmm. see it you know with and i was like why is that like why are they doing that so i was like all right well and this, again this is a new shooter right someone that's new into long range shooting or, or whatever mm -hmm. which i have a lot of i was like all right well i want you i want you to apply slow steady pressure until that shot surprises you as long as that reticle stays on target and so you know press 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 you know and, and then it finally breaks and usually, I mean, their shots are pretty clean. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy crap, right? So I, I think when you're in the early stages of your long range shooting career, right? I think the shot should surprise you so that you're not influ you're not trying to essentially like, because I think, you know, what new shooters haven't really mastered is isolation of the trigger finger. Uh, in, my, in my video camera here, uh, I'm actually, you know, pressing my trigger. Because, you know, shooters have that natural tendency when to, when to time their shot is to almost squeeze their whole hand. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Agreed. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. It, when they squeeze their hand, it usually rolls into a rolling left motion um, on their grip, right? Um, uh, unless they have a lot of downward where it, that it pulls off to the right because, uh, you know, if their grip is a lot lower, like by their pinky, their rifle is going to roll the right. So what, that's what mm -hmm. I've at least seen. So then, you know, it, it takes me back to, okay, in all honesty, the only um, a shooters that really understand trigger or um, uh, get to the point where they know their trigger are competitive shooters and people that are really dedicated to the craft. The average hunter and the average law enforcement uh, and sniper, they will never ever know good trigger control because they don't shoot enough to be able to know their trigger inside and out i'm just going to call right. it as it is no, right i would agree with you man the, the average hunter shoots 20 rounds 20 rounds a year and that's it and and you know you and i know that's not enough to be intimate with that rifle it's not um and and to be honest with you that you know this is not this is kind of a new thing by new with regard to trigger control stuff over the last i would say over the last four or four years or so. Like I, I tried this, tried that new technique and it just worked and it just seemed to work for, for other people as well. And students took to it and it basically, it, what it helped do in my personal opinion was negate trigger control errors. And, and I equate trigger control errors largely to one all encompassing thought of target panic, which basically means you're seeing the sight picture that you that you really want and you've been chasing after and, and that sight picture is right there and then your brain just screams at you and says, make it go bang now, right? And so your body's gonna go through a whole 
litany of, of actions to make that happen. <clears throat> Some of which are most of, most of the time it's all, it's a psychological thing, your brain. And then you have the anticipation of it, your body saying the, the anxiety of it, your body's screaming at you saying, make it work now. And then you also have, you know, the, the body's physiological reaction based upon like the blast and, and the recoil of the rifle, like a lot of that stuff is all wrapped up into one thing. And so once, once I decided, I was like, okay, this seems like it might be a good way to remove a lot of that stuff by just saying, all right, this is happening. Let's just press through this, get through the wall and make the gun go bang. And guys seem to shoot pretty tight with it. Um, you know, there's always, there's always people that don't take to it. And, you know, I just explained to them where the trigger needs to be placed so that we don't disturb the rifle, all that stuff. Like yeah, one size definitely does not fit all. Let's put it that way. It does yeah. not, one size does not fit all. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I, I remember as a young, uh, young Marine in terms of trigger control was uh, not manipulating. And this is, I think from a bench rest technique, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know exactly where I'm getting at. Where some of my seniors had the notion of, okay, well, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, uh, manipulate this grip at all to ensure that I'm not influencing, you know, uh, any other things that I need to on this rifle. So you would have this kind of floating grippy thing where the shooter would just isolate the trigger. Right. <laughs> For me, that's a no go. It's like it's like I always want to have positive control of that rifle. Right. And, and, and control comes from your shooting hand, mm-hmm. right. And your yep. aiming comes from your non-shooting hand. even, even traditionally, right. Going back to uh, sling supported and stuff like that, where you do most, where do you do your fine tuning? Your main aiming comes from your body. Like you talked about, mm-hmm. where does your fine aiming come from? A lot of times it's just kind of like scooting the hand guard around in your hand and the, the, on the support side, right? Yep. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. So the support side controls that find the fine tune aiming. So where do I have control of the rifle where that rifle is getting pulled back from me or whatever the case might be. That's your, that's your shooting hand. Mm-hmm. And I would never want to give that up just to then isolate the trigger. True. Right. True. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I talk in, in grip. It's like, okay, well, you know, the mechanisms of your firing hand, you know, during the firing process is control the rifle, uh, uh, rear pressure, uh, placement of your trigger finger and can't. Yep. Right. It should, it, it, you should be able to do all four of those things, um, with the same amount of pressure. I would say yep. can't not, not, um, uh, because obviously yeah, you're going to tighter, you're going to tight it, at, you know, depending on your bipod. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's cool. That, but yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I, it, this is kind of stemming from that continuing on with that gentleman's comment about, well, are we still using the same military ism fundamentals that, you know, you, you heard Hothcock, Hothcock, Hathcock say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He is rolling in his grave and he's probably going to fuck me up when I, when I meet him, <laughs> wherever he's at. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you, you know what I'm saying? I think there's a couple things that I will never do with a modern day precision rifle. It's a shoot unsupported, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just because it's like, it's like, Oh, those are your natural fundamentals. It's like, dude, I was like, a, 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 a no shit sniper rifle weighs anywhere from fucking 19 to 21 pounds. Yep. I don't care who you are. Like, and, and 
yeah, I'm going to always try to maximize my hit probability by finding some kind of fucking fun sport. And I've, I've never I've said that many podcasts already, but that's just my thing. Um, so I've got away from that. Even, even if in the prone, right. It's like, Oh, what if well, you can't do, deploy your bipods? Well, guess what? I'm fucking putting my fist out and I'm using my fist as a fucking front support or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a backpack that I probably have on my body or whatever. But I mean, bipods are so common nowadays. It's like, who doesn't have a bipod on the rifle? Yeah. And, and, but that that's also being spoiled into the competitive side. It's like, okay, well, how about that regular rifle enthusiast out there that doesn't have a bipod mount? You know, it's like, hey man, you, what you should do is you should probably create a little butt pack for your rifle or for your bag. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's just foam, duct tape, like together where that you have, you have, you should post a picture of you. Do you have your butt pad, your original butt pad? Uh, not the original, no. Oh, we should do that, dude. It's like, how to do an old school, do how an old to school shoot off video? your back? How do you how to shoot off your your backpack? Because everyone, I mean, I would mm-hmm. assume that everyone has a backpack. Um, and you know how to shoot off your backpack if you don't have bipods. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's one of those things, it. guys. It's like I mean, the only time you're not going to see me running a set of bipods on a rifle is like a direct action rifle. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'll even run bipods on a designated marksman rifle. Yep. Like we, you understand that people complain about the weight or whatever, but it's like, Hey dude, this is just, this is it. Like this is part of this weapon system. Just like you need a magazine to fire it. You need a set of bipods to shoot it. To support. Yep. Yeah. So it's just part of the deal. Um, There's really no excuse right now. Like if you're running a rifle, unless I will say like a precision rifle. Yeah. Precision rifle. But even like, even hunting in Africa, right? Things happen really fast in in Africa just because there are so many game animals, right? There's a lot of opportunities. And what I noticed there was most of the, most of the, most of the PHs over there don't hunt with bipods. And so we showed up with bipods and we, we also showed up with six, five Creedmoors, which raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, But we were extremely successful with that. And even those guys were like, yeah, the bipod's kind of a thing. We should, we should probably look into, into getting some of those things. Cause I mean, well, when we started to go to work on the baboons, that was when they really realized that like, Oh, there's a thing to those bipods making like eight, 900 yard shots on, on baboons and stuff. Like, you know, it just helps. It's there. It, it helps. And it's not that much weight. So put it on there. Um, so rolling into the, I think the third question of uh, because of the competitive rifle space, what kind of uh, triggers? Because because I would say, you know, the the competitive rifle shooting is driving this sport, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you see a lot of people obviously key their interest in, and I mean they immediately go to what they guys that can afford it they immediately go to what the pros use, and that's fine. Um, it, it's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's the translation of, okay, good fundamentals, marksmanship and, and stuff like that, because everyone's running around with eight ounce triggers and stuff like that. Well, you know, they go, he goes, he goes to the local match and, you know, he picks up a few mentors and, you know, uh, none of the mentors are, are, are formally trained. You know, they're all, you know, they're all individually trained and they, they, they probably can fuck me up at a match right now. Cause I suck ass, but, um, still, <clears throat> I think understanding trigger control in itself, if, if you want to master the art of being a rifleman, I think that, you know, if you are the type of person that is, um, 
shooting the rifle, shooting a rifle uh, for enjoyment, you should be able to, this is just my personal opinion. You should be able to pick up any rifle, right? And do the same exact thing. Exactly. That's right. where I'm at. That's my, yeah. that's my point of view because, you know, the competition thing is, you know, it, it's there for a purpose. Um, and if you're like, if your intent is to, is to be really, really proficient at that game, then you should probably uh, acquire the equipment that's going to allow you to, to be yep. at that upper level. Like that's, exactly. that is important. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. Yep. Um, but at the same time, like my intention of doing those things is not to be in that, in that realm. It's not, that to me is not super important because my end state with a rifle is, is in the mountains hunting with it um, or teaching, uh, you're teaching snipers. And so I just kind of want to throttle things back a little bit and make sure that, um, you know, the intent of being there is, is, is focused on. So that way I'm not losing sight of my goals. That's our, that's going back to our mindfulness, right? That we talked about in one of our very first episodes is our mindfulness behind the rifle is understanding that, at any any rifle that I pick up, I should be able to you know ma- maximize its capability, regardless mm-hmm. of the weight, regardless of caliber. If I can't do that, then it's not the weapon platform; it's the shooter platform. It's the shooter that is influencing that. Yep. Um, so, you know, one thing that I've seen is, yeah, you can buy the what the pros use and stuff like that, but that's not like you can't bolt on talent. <laughs> Right. That's right. true. You know, uh, there's a lot of hard work that gets into, and, and the reason why the pros use what they use is because they're already fundamentally sound. I would say the top 10, right. And what they're doing is they're not trying to handicap themselves from their other competitors, right. Yes, that are, that exactly. are in the top 10 and that's why they run what they run. Uh, but that's it's a totally little, fair statement. Yeah. And I think what I've seen um, with the, with the, light triggers and stuff like that is this uh, new kind of uh, trigger error of trigger control, not a jerk. It's the running start of the tap, right? Is the yep. trigger so light that they can't even put their finger on it because they know that that'll go bang if they do. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they get on target, they get a little bit of free recoil going on and then they kind of flow with their finger. And then when they're ready to sh- you just see it, that little tap. Yeah. <laughs> Time to tap, baby. Uh, no time through. to tap. And yeah, time time to tap. Hashtag time to tap. Is okay. So, like, is that good or bad? Well, it, they're not applying any follow through, and we know that follow through. You know, that bullet is leaving out the muzzle in in micro milliseconds, right? So it's like, you know, can you get away with you know tapping the trigger? Absolutely. When it's uh, that light. When it's that light. When it, when it requires that little force. Yeah. To yeah. fire the rifle. Uh, yes. Yeah. You can get away with that. But that also tells me that the shooter is timing their shot. Right. Which tells me that they are not fundamentally sound in their body position, not because well, of trigger discipline. Yeah. I've seen people, I've seen people like laying in the prone position when it's like a, you know, it's solid and they're still doing it in the prone position. Oh yeah. 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 I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, well, first and foremost, I will say that since the advent of having the trigger cam, man, seriously, that thing is amazing for teaching, for teaching shooters because 
now I get to remove, I, you know, we used to tell shooters, I can't see what you see or think what you think or feel what you feel. Now I can see what they see. And so that, that piece of that puzzle now is incredible because now what I can, I can see them applying the natural point of aim or I can see the wobble zone in real time. I can see where they're actually breaking the shot on the target or what their yeah. perception of proper sight picture is. And, and that is sometimes, believe it or not, man, like this, these, these first few classes that I've had seeing the trigger cam, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, you, you shouldn't, don't do that. <laughs> you need to aim here. Um, because I think a lot of the times we take things um, as implied knowledge, right? Like yes. we, we don't want to come at this stuff with any implied knowledge. And that's really important to understand <clears throat> that as a teacher, you shouldn't be having any implied knowledge because what that's doing is just a disservice to your student. But anyways, back on the topic of being able to see the sight picture with regard to trigger control, um, they're still doing it in the prone position, which, which would indicate to me that it's now that's wired. That's a wired process, right? We've talked about the difference. Well, the falsity of saying muscle memory, cause that's, we know that that's not true. What we do have though is, wiring your nervous system is basically wiring like in your house and so that shooter that's tapping the trigger that's now that's how they do it right that's when their brain says okay it's time to make the gun go bang that physical motion occurs as a result of wiring yeah yeah and sometimes it's super hard to break oh yeah yeah and you know, and, and what I, what I tell this is, you know, it's like, okay, well, why, why do I follow through? You know, why is follow through so important in my, in my book? It's like, um, when I press that shot and, you know, I, I keep my finger on the trigger, my body, my brain goes through what I call, uh, what I, what I define as dwell time, which is that just real quick pause that your brain takes once it feels that recoil impulse, right? Mm-hmm. The larger the caliber, the bigger the dwell time, the, the smaller the caliber, the, the, the smaller the dwell time. Um, or I saw the heavier the recoil, the longer the dwell time, the lighter the recoil, the, the, the lighter the dwell time. That's why it's easier for lighter calibers to be able to spy your trace because your dwell time is so much smaller, right? Yep. Um, well, after that dwell time, the only thing that I want processed in my brain is uh, where that shot went because mm-hmm. at the time... That is the only thing because we can only focus on one thing at a time, right? And if I try to do any kind of motion after that, I'm doing a disservice to, again, that shot that went down range of where where is it actually at? Okay, yep. so that's that's why I I I try to preach the follow through and hey, just it's it's not because you're influencing the 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 rifle in the process of that that fucking bullets are already gone right yeah. it's the simple fact of focusing on where that shot is downrange so that you can clear mind of it and anything else yeah it's it's calling the shot basically the 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 follow-through process is that instantaneous snapshot in time of what the sight picture looked like before you lost it to recoil right yeah. and the only way that you're going to be able to to do that is to just is to follow through you have to let the gun do its thing um, it doesn't really have to be super complex. I will say though, that when you start shooting lightweight guns, you start shooting lightweight guns and you are also gas guns follow through the movement of your body. If your body is all wiggly, 
it's it's going to it's going to make a difference on where it the translates. exits. Yeah, it yes, translates. It absolutely yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Ted Ted Courageous from American Rifle Company. We we sat here and did, <clears throat> dude. You wanted to see a whiteboard Wednesday? Holy shit! Um, it was pretty. It was pretty bananas. So he was drawing diagrams about you know rifle like weights and motion weights and moments and and lever arms and things and and what's actually going on with the rifle in the process of recoil mechanically, uh, physically, and um, you know we started talking about all right so you know the 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 speed of I won't take too much because we're actually gonna we're gonna publish that as an as an interview which is I think really cool but um, just a quick snapshot of the conversation. This, what is the speed of our bullets that are leaving the muzzle? Muzzle velocity wise? Yeah. Like what, what's an average speed? Like in, you know, anywhere from 2850 to yeah, 3100. Yeah. 27 to 3100. Somewhere in there. Right. So that is a wide window for with regard to accuracy, but it's not a wide window when you compare it to the speed of sound, which in steel is in excess of 19,000 feet per second. Okay, so you just picture that as a snapshot of time and say, okay, well, the speed of sound and, and sound is vibration, right? Every, all sound is is just vibration. So that vibration is getting transmitted through that steel at a speed of 19,000 feet per second. So those vibrations are already down to the end of the barrel and back and forth several times before the bullet gets out. Right. And that's where we start talking about vibrational nodes for hand loading and things. So the heavier your rifle, you are absolutely correct. Right. Like if you're laying behind a 25 pound, six millimeter, that's squirting out bullets at 2750, then, then yeah, that gun, like you could literally not be attached to it or be attached to it. And it's going to shoot the same, right. It doesn't matter because that's just physics, but you start doing that with a rifle that's, you know, even as low as, you know, I would even say, dare to say, depending on the recoil forces or how well you're, you're mitigating recoil, I would say even down to like that 18 pound range, you know, especially like even an 18 pound 308, that starts, you got a squiggly, wiggly body position and you're kind of futzing around behind the gun after every, or in between every shot, then that's going to play a role yeah. in where the yeah. bullet exits the muzzle. And, and, and I, I see that all the time. I see guys that, that shoot, um, I'm always watching guys. I see your Instagram videos and stuff like that. You tag, it's like when you take a shot, like I can see when you're rebuilding your position because mm-hmm. something happened. Uh, like a, you know, like the recoil B, you came off target or C, you lost, uh, your rifle, to body connection. Yep. <clears throat> Indeed. Uh, and you know, there, there are times that like you, when you are shooting a lightweight rifle, like in the hunting space, um, you know, my rifle is a seven song in a nine pound package, even with a solid muzzle brake or even with a suppressor. A rifle moves, right? It's that's a that's a wallop. It's a lot of powder and a big ass bullet. So you're gonna move. That's why having those foundational fundamental connections to the rifle are very important in order to I want to be able to shoot any rifle under any circumstance, under any condition. Yeah. And if I believe as a skilled shooter, like somebody that that understands like I know that I can get behind a 25 pound gun and like, I really don't have to do shit to it. I don't do shit to it. It just shoots. But you know, you start going down into the lighter weight guns, then yeah, there's like you, especially gas guns, man. I'm sure you guys, there's guys out there that shoot gas guns. I know that's like, 
the bane of everybody's existence in the world of PRS. Everybody turns their noses up at them, but you know, they are a challenge to shoot well because there's so much going on with them and um, a lot of reciprocating mass and all that stuff. So uh, it is a big deal, but I think you're right. I I would agree with the, with your consensus on that for sure. You know, if you you guys are listening and again, our audience is huge. So the one thing I want you, everyone to keep in mind is that there's so many disciplines in this, in this, um, you know, the only one that I, I would say I haven't walked is truly walked is ELR and bench rest shooting mm-hmm. uh, or F class, you know, but in terms of practical rifle shooting, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've done all, all, all three or four. Right. Um, and our goal is to communicate the information that just makes our audience, whatever you utilize your, you know, this, uh, this information is, or you utilize your rifle for, uh, to just be a better rifleman. So if you, you know, you're having issues with, you know, not seeing your impacts or, you know, bad trigger control or whatever, it's like, Hey man, like something has to change in terms of your training, in terms of, you know, maybe, um, your gear, maybe actually going actually in, in, in seeing training, um, or, you know, dabbling with someone else's rifle. Right. I mean, nowadays, most like serious competitive shooters, they have two setups, you know, they're mm-hmm. identical. I don't have two identical setups where it's like two, six degrees of the exact same. It's like, I got a six degree, I got a six, five, a three way. They're all in the same configuration. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, you know, I mainly shoot off of, uh, the only time I ever touched the six creed is, uh, for competitions and right before competitions, all my other mm-hmm. practice comes with a six, five creed more or three weight, mm-hmm. uh, because it's heavier recoil, usually with a, you know, with a, a gunwork school gun. And just for me, I found that when I spend too much time on a, what I call a gamer gun, um, or a competition gun, I get, I get sloppy because it's easy to take those shortcuts on a, uh, on a heavy rifle that is, uh, very light recoil, you know, it's easy to take the shortcuts of not interfacing with it as much just because I'm not worried about the recoil because I, you know, I can still see, I'm, I'm still going to be able to see my shot. Right. Um, I know, but if I, if I try to interface the same exact way with the three weight there, guess what happens? Mm-hmm. I don't see a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, let's go back to the drawing board because this is not the purpose of me trying to be a rifleman. Okay. So that's, that's all I have to say. Just understand your, your purpose, what you want to take this information, utilize it. We're not bagging on competitive shooters, not bagging on whatever, nope. just understand, Hey, this is where the nature of everything has gone. Right. But I think it all still stems from the nature of co- competitive shooting. Cause that's one thing I see. I see when guys on Facebook and stuff like that, they always refer back to, Oh, this is what competitive shooters. Well, what if that guy doesn't care about competitive shooters, right? It's like, why do you have to bring that up? Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's just an enthusiast who cares about what competitive shooters are doing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it, and it just goes back to, well, the competitive scene is driving the industry. Yeah. I, I would agree. What, what people are thinking in terms of, uh, uh, you know, long range shooting. Yeah. I think I would really like to see more hunting, more hunting oriented classes, I guess, if you will, to, to kind of get, get more people exposed to seeing what's what, right. And just being like, you know, not necessarily a division, right. It doesn't have to be a division, but like 
more events, maybe like a local club match that's more more focused on the hunter. Yeah. All right. And saying, hey man, so like let's stretch the limits a little bit. <clears throat> Target sizes are going to be a little bit bigger than than you go to at a PRS match or uh, NRL match where you know you're shooting you know, minute and a half, two minute, minute angle targets, um, make them a little bit bigger and just kind of like give them an opportunity to see and be tested under a different, you know, set of circumstances than that, that they would think of regularly. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's always good conversation. It really is because that's where, that's where growth happens. It happens with conversation. It happens with understanding as much, background as you possibly can on a, on a given topic and being able to come up with the most, you know, well-rounded position. And so, you know, there's do's, there's don'ts and there's areas that are like, Hey man, yeah, if you want to play that game, cool, go, go roll with it. Like I've often thought like you and I have had these conversations. I've never truly gone head deep or head first into the competitive space. Like I've, I've, I don't shoot a dasher I don't shoot a, a GT like my rifle doesn't weigh that much. And I don't shoot like I'm specifically doing things that are purposefully not in that area. And I just, I've always wondered kind of like, Hey, what if I decided to just like, let's build a true game gun. Yeah. Just do it. And I, and I hope that the competitors that listen to this that are just diehard competitors that they, they're like able to take what we talk about in our podcast and like, you know, Applied to their training, so that when they go to their match next match, they smash it, and they're like, you know, like, well, how the fuck did you, you know, jump the ranks so good? I'm like, well, first off, I take advice from Modern Day Cyber Podcast, like, hey, yeah, you know, <laughs> hey, it's a win-win, you know, um, you know, because it's like, it's like, hey, whatever your cup of tea is, man, it, it's it's, but you know, I, I think, like I said, the competition drives a lot of the relevancy in 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 today's. A market for long range shooting. So yeah, because I mean, it drives it drives the equipment, right? And, and yeah, we're having now hunting rifles are are coming with pretty much like if you're buying a rifle, a factory rifle, it's probably coming with a trigger tech trigger, right? And yeah, or pick it any pick up front, right? No longer the yeah. studs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're looking, you, you know, things are changing in that space and that's good. And that's the way that's progression. And that just comes from spreading of information. Yep. You know, it's, uh, we're in just such a cool age of information that, that can also be, it's, you know, it's a, it's the double-edged sword, right? The yin and the yang, um, you know, used in, in with good intent and good purpose, you know, we benefit from it. It's just like the racing world, you know, um, anything man like the anything people that are the yeah. people that are complaining about all these sometimes the people that are complaining about all these advancement technology it's like oh hathcock wouldn't use that it's like dude you're posting that from a smartphone right yeah. it's like stop just stop you are on a smartphone on social media right now which is all <laughs> driven from technology it's like dude you cannot yeah. tell me that you're not taking you're not taking advantage of the technology that we have now to of course people. yeah so and that's silly that's just yeah. and that's just being extremely virtuous but hence the birth of modern day cyber exactly the way forward um so let's um, talk about let's talk about uh let's talk uh um sniper side cup let's let's talk about uh, uh, money where your mouth is with uh with that one yeah. guy's comment yeah right <laughs> yeah i was like that dude must be trolling he's got to be trolling um uh so the sniper side cup man super fun i actually it was kind of a shit show because 
I was planning on shooting one rifle, loaded a bunch of ammo for it, and um, it's no secret, it's no surprise. We've there's been a problem with with Hornady bullets, right? Um, I was going to shoot a six five PRC. I've shot up at Carl Taylor's place in the past, and it can be pretty wicked with wind. So I was like, ah, I'm going to shoot the PRC, and and uh, it's more of a field match, anyways. And so let's do this with uh, more of a tactical slash hunting focus. And so um, real, real quick, uh, Carl Taylor um, is an OG in our community, uh, in the cyber community, and he is the owner of In Motion Targets. Yeah. Uh, for those that are just wondering who Carl Taylor is, but that's that's who that guy is. Carl, what's yeah. up, dude? Yeah, Carl, you're the man, dude. Love you. Um, but uh, he's got a phenomenal, phenomenal venue up in uh, uh, Colville, Kettle Falls area. Um, just beautiful, and it's just a beautiful place to shoot. Like you're you're in the mountains shooting, which is rad. So I was going to shoot the PRC. Had some major issues with ammunition. It's no secret. Like I'm not trying to bust anybody's balls. Um, so I'd had to do the pig scramble and go stuff a bunch of cases for my Creedmoor and, uh, and, and kind of got out the door pretty late, but nonetheless, it was awesome because that was the first big match of the year that I'd shot. I've shot a, like two local matches, um, one day matches here in the wintertime before the country lost its goddamn mind. And then, um, you know, showed up and, and linked up with a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in a very long time, which was awesome. And, um, the, the match venue, great place and it's all field shooting. And so the way that the, that match is structured is you, you walk up, you see where the targets are. Um, and then they don't give you any ranges and you have as a single shooter, it's a team match usually. And I decided to shoot, I just was going to shoot as a single, um, you have five minutes to, get yourself set up, range the targets and engage the targets in whatever specified order. Um, and so the targets were fairly generous. They weren't anything like, holy shit. Uh, the positions were challenging as to be expected. And, uh, it was fun. It was just a great time. Uh, day one, uh, shot really, really well, except for the, the, the pistol targets that Carl put out, man, they were pretty small. <laughs> the pistol targets were pretty small. And so I was like, ah, I'm just going to shoot my Glock 19. I, I just took my carry pistol and that first stage, the target was at like 35 yards away with like, Ten inch disc. Ten inch disc. no dude, it was a six, it was a six inch wide by nine inch tall rectangle. I was oh, like, shit. God damn. So, um, needless to say the next day, well, I, I, I went up to Carl and kind of like asked him, he's like, Hey man, so, uh, what's your policy on changing guns? Can I change my pistol to a red dot tomorrow? <laughs> and he's like, I don't give a shit what you do. Just, whatever. Um, which are, I like the, I like those rules. It is what it is. Cause it's the same thing, right? If I went on a mission and, and like, I was like, yeah, this fucking tool sucked. Then next day I'd be like, Hey, I'm not doing that again. I'm, I'm going to take a different gun. So, uh, um, rifle targets were, were in challenging positions. The wind up there does funky things. And, and I learned quite a bit about, uh, a lot of thermal wind activity started to pick up on things like, um, as soon as the clouds shifted away the, and the sun was able to heat up the ground so you could tell that there was a distinct shift in the wind patterns, right? And then as soon as the clouds would come over, um, the wind pattern would change as soon as the, as soon as the thermal activity ceased. And so I'm, I'm digging a little bit deeper into that. I'm going to start reaching out to a couple of my friends in the paragliding community to talk to them about, you know, is that something, you know, predictive and, 
and learn a little bit more about the thermal activity. But um, just making like silly, just like silly mistakes. The rifle was shooting really well. Um, I had, I was popping a couple of primers cause I literally just was like, yeah, this charge is going to work. I took it to the range. It shot inside a half inch. So I was like, yep, stuff them. Let's go. And uh, went out there and, and shot, shot pretty well. Like I didn't have any complaints except making silly mistakes. Like I can't count. I couldn't count for shit. Um, but uh, yeah, it was good. It was a fun time. Some some major takeaway points, though, were um, it's been a while since I'd shot a field match like that. And so gear management, I knew, had to be really critical in terms of just take as little as possible, like yeah. as little as possible. It was a backpack, a tripod, and a bag, literally it. Um, and Just items people. that I would take on a, a sniper mission, contrary to probably believe, yep. a, a tripod and a, and a bag. Yeah, exactly. It's all the same shit. It's the same thing that I would take when I hunt too. Um, same exact setup, just different rifle. Um, but, uh, it, it was good to get back into positions. I've been, I have been shooting quite a bit. Um, it was good to get back to solving somebody else's problems. Right. So, it, and, and that good. is the joy of, of competitive rifle shooting. And that's why I love to do it is because it is a testament to your individual. Like you said, it's a testament to your individual training but what it allows you to do is solve someone else's it's the literally it's the gap the bridge that it connects what you do in training and what you experience in real life on a hunt Mm -hmm. right it bridges that gap because when you're training at home you're training the comfort of your own environment you make your own rules you make your own timelines whatever even if you're doing drills right you're 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 making your own um uh, situation and conditions. Mm-hmm. When you go out to the field, when you're hunting another human or hunting critters, when that human or that that animal exposes themselves, you're now on that timeline, those conditions, or whatever the case might be. Right. So, yeah. how the fuck do we bridge that gap? Well, we go to a competition yeah. and we solve someone else's problem they get they gave for us. Exactly, and it just it just elevates the confidence to just such a hugely high level. It's just one of those things where you're like, "Yo, I was just crushing twelve inch plate at seven hundred yards, man!" Like, you know, for some people that for some people that's like unobtainium. Yeah. But then then you look at that and be like, "Well, in a hunting condition, that is that's done. Like, yeah, that's done." You quickly realize when you go to those different environments where. You're like, yeah, man, under these kind of weird, squirrely, tailwindy, you know, fishtaily winds, I'm super confident in making hits out to, say, five, 600 yards. Yep. And, you know, as a hunter, you know, that's always, that's always a good thing to be able to stretch your, stretch your limits within responsible thought process and behavior. So, but you're, you're not going to learn that on your own. You're going to have to go, like, seek that out. And that's important to understand trying to bring us back to our some of our audience that guys that don't compete right or guys that are looking to again because i get the question asked a lot hey like i'm looking to get my first competition mm-hmm. what what you know what what should i go with it first but honestly there's no wrong answer right whether you go the the rtc challenge which is what i think the cyberside cup is a part of right rtc is pretty much in the pacific northwest ran by Clint Sharp and, and, uh, those guys up there, mm-hmm. uh, they put on great matches. Um, I, I've shot, I, I shot, so I shot Cyberside cup last year with Bo and we took second against Gadarzy and uh, Cloninger. Um, but I also like my individual comps too, but so 
you know, it, I would say that, you know, if you're looking to be more of the, the, the true, like practical rifleman, that is the route you want to go is like the RTC challenge series, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's yep. where you are going to um, have to use target acquisition, um, which is a very under uh, utilized skill for a rifleman, um, which is very difficult um, for, I would say, competitive rifle shooters to achieve. And that's where they burn a lot of their time at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they can clean a barricade, but if you give them, a, you give them two different targets that are spread with the fuck out, it's like good luck trying to find that target if they don't have a good target acquisition process. Mm-hmm. Two, ranging your targets. And this is huge, man. So down in Utah for the um, NRL match, you know, we had some issues. Uh, some some people in the squads were complaining about well, target ranges were being read. It's like a double-edged sword. And Cole, if you're listening to this, um, it's like, hey, man, I know the amount of, as a match director, I know the amount of things that need to get done for a match. And guess what? We're all human. Nothing's ever perfect. So guess right. what kind of sacrifice at that point? I thought it was a great ran course fire. But what kind of um, happened? Well, some of the target ranges were incorrect. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, as a as a shooter, you are responsible for ranging and having that range to the target. And I tell my hunters all the time, it's like, it's like, Hey man, like you can learn or you can trust a guy that's spotting for you to give you a wind call. But at the end of the day, you pull that trigger. That's, that's, that's your trigger press, right? So you can listen to him or you can, you can make your own fucking wind call and your own range and do it all yourself. And that, so that when, if you miss the only person that you can blame is who your fucking self and right. you can, you can look at it like, okay, well I fucking suck. I need to figure out a way to get better. Or you can start fucking blaming other people for your uh, for your failures. Yeah, that's true. Um, I you know, that's a common thing that people want to do. At masters like, hey, what, what are the range of targets? I'm like, ah, you know, I'd rather not. Like, you get you can get your own ranges, bro. Um, like, we should be able to do that. I, I'm actually like, I was surprised that you know, as the sport uh, evolved, that like people were getting ranges to targets. I mean, like that started to be, I remember the first matchbook I picked up and there were all ranges to the targets. So I was like, well, I use the targets. What do we got that for? doesn't matter. I'm going to check them anyways. Like, like, of course I'm going to check them. It's just, that's the way it is. So, and it, it's a good way. It's, I mean, it's, it's a good thing too. It's like, okay, as a long range shooter, that's one of the things that you should have in your kit, right? Is a range finder. I mean, I shouldn't have to rely on other shooters. Like how do you get your ranges to, to shoot in practice? Right. You know, mm-hmm. so, okay. If you're using a public range, so, you know, so be it. But you know, I, I think when you go to a match, you, it's also a testament to how well your gear is functioning in those conditions. Mm-hmm. Right. If, especially yeah. if you're on the path of being, you know, a, a, a long range hunter, it's like, it's like you should be utilizing your equipment to see if, if that's the same exact equipment you're taking on a hunt with you or in the field as a sniper, it's like, you should be using that to see if it fucking works. Right. Because if it doesn't work, then why the fuck take it on a mission or to why, why the fuck take it on your hunt? If it's just dead weight, right. Or you need to find another piece of gear that works for you. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. Yep. I, uh, it's uh, I got nothing else on that one. You hit that, clean that up nicely. Um, um, but no, it, the cyber side match is a, is a, I'm, I want to shoot it with you. Hopefully freaking our schedules can align. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when I shot it with Bo it was great. The communication and I, and I post uh, videos every now and yeah. then. Um, I love the terrain out there. It's, um, it's one, it's probably now that Q Creek is shut down. Um, indefinitely that's my favorite place venue to shoot. 
Um, did you yeah. do a lot of tripod work off the, oh, yeah. the side of the hill? Yeah. 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 It's one of those places that, you know, he's going to make you shoot with your tripod. Um, I mean, that's where, I mean, that's where Clint's, you know, uh, rifle sticks came from, right? Because there's so much, well, I mean, there's so much high grass up there. Um, those whole, all those pastures are full of clover and, and mountain grass and, you know, the, the grass can be like a couple feet tall in some places. And so the tripod's a, a big deal. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's cool to be able to use it. You know, people buy the, spend all the money on tripods and stuff. And most of the time at a freaking match, they're either using them for, you know, a, a binocular support or a rear support for the rifle. Um, so it's good to actually use them for, you know, for what they're intended to be used for. Did you run, um, did you run the Arca on the, on the anvil or did you put a, a tabletop and run a bag? Sometimes it just, depends it just depends. Yeah. Okay. Totally dependent on the situation. Yeah. Like there were some times where it was like, that's a really small target, yeah. um, at like 700 yards. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to lock, I'm going to lock that tripod in there and make sure I have a completely rock solid sight picture for that yeah. small target. Um, so, but then there's other times where it's like, you know, a big targets, two minutes or two and a half minutes. And it's like, Hey, oh, yeah, no problem. Let's just throw it on a bag because it's faster. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of big transitions out there too. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a, a typical question I get nowadays with people that are, are, uh, starting to invest in, invest into shooting off their tripod, which is good to hear, good to see in the, in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's like, Hey, do you clip in directly to your ARCA? Um, or do you shoot off a bag? And I do both, right? It, the situation dictates, and I think it's a great video to show, hey, the, what scenarios I would uh, clip in uh, to the ARCA or what situations I'd run uh, a tack table in a, in a bag. Right. Um, but both are equally, you know, I would say, just like anything else, equally um, precise and accurate as long as you know how to employ it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a couple of positions where, you know, you had to shoot off a kind of a really, you know, spindly wonky barricade. But um, other than that, it wasn't anything or it was just like, ah, this, this is kind of lame. No, it was all very applicable, um, very uh, consistent with a field shooting match, like nothing crazy. No, no gimmicky shit either. So it was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not uh, too keen on gimmicky shit. Clint. Yeah. What I like about Clint, he tells it how it is. Yeah, he does, man. And it's, 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 it's good. Like it's super good. And I, I just love hanging out with that crew. That's they're just such oh, yeah. good dudes. They're just such good people. And, um, it's always nice to, to get up and, and hang out with Carl and, you know, Frank, it was a big, it was a big old school sniper reunion up there. You know, there's four or five dudes that were, you know, a couple generations before me. And it's pretty cool to listen to their stories and hang out. Yeah. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're just a rifle enthusiast, I would definitely highly recommend checking out an RTC match, uh, in the near future. Um, I think you might go to riflemanteamchallenge.com or whatever, and they have a list of matches for the season. Uh, but usually they're team matches, uh, but you can shoot them individually. Um, but yeah, I think, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, Kellen said, you know, um, good group of guys welcoming, introduce yourself, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, you don't, you don't see much jerseys there um, and stuff like that. Cause they're just all guys. I mean, they're all true hunters, right? They just mm-hmm. love to be out, out West, love to hunt. And they're just taking their skill uh, that they learn in competition to just be better hunters and, yep. you know, leave the hunters at distance. So. Yep. So I ended up, 
I ended up shooting the high score for the individuals at that match. Um, but uh, I really want to shoot some team matches with you this coming season. Dude, um, that is one space that um, we don't hit on that is, I think is a good good thing to, to talk about is um, team shooting because that's yeah. a whole other dynamic, right? It's like, it's like, man, you could have a stellar shooter in your squad, but if your communication sucks ass, guess what? You guys don't yep. fucking shit. Yep, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one thing that I remember at sniper school from teaching is, you know, yeah, you, you, you're coaching individually Marines and, and, you know, um, through that process, but you're also obviously mentoring and teaching the aspect of shooter spotter communication, because that's important too, that, that communication flow and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I know that's one thing that's probably not even taught, um, very common right now in courses. Uh, it's all kind of just individual rifle training. Yeah, we do. So I like doing observer stuff. And the reason I do that is um, it's a control measure for the class. So that way I can identify, um, like isolate one group of shooters, right? So like one shooters on the rifle, one shooters on the glass. And that way I can, I can critique both the shooter and the observer in one go. And then I can also just see them individually because then, you know, we do some scored shoots there, just like unknown distance shooting, you know, at school, that's the way I run the line for that. Because as one single instructor, that's a, that's really easy to, to, to control the shooting situation and be able to manage the students and see what they're doing and still train them. Um, but, uh, it's also a challenging event for the students because that they're, it's like this little stress event because and now everybody's listening to you talk to your teammates. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And uh, sometimes it gets pretty quiet and people, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to work it out. And the thing is too, it's like, you got to let people make their own mistakes. Yeah. You, know, you just got to, sometimes you just got to throw them to the wolves, man. And just got to figure it out. Like, Hey, I don't know. Like stop doing the paralysis through by analysis thing and just put a bullet here. Quit. Yeah. Overcoaching is real too, right? Like that's one thing I learned as a, as a, you know, as I became a more proficient instructor, Mm -hmm. I stopped overcoaching students because it was just, it was just too much for them to handle. You know, there started to be diminishing returns in terms of critiquing every little fucking thing that they're doing. It's like, uh, I'm just like, I'm going to back the fuck up. Right. It's like, I see something that I'll address it. Yeah. And I'll just let it shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I'll just debrief it as a whole, you know, it's like, Hey, I, I saw the shooter doing this, you know, somebody gave him mine or whatever, but not just ha- like watching one shooter and be like, Oh, you follow through, keep facing the gun, whatever. It's like, that's not, that's not going to do any justice, man. That's just, you're literally just now continuing to put more uh, additional stress on that shooter where now exactly. that like, they're not even, I mean, they're not even focused on their shot. They're just focused on the, the process at that point. Yeah. Um, and like you said, they're so paralyzed. They're like, they're like, Oh, am I, am I doing everything right? And they fucking miss. Yep, exactly. And you're just like, see how long that took you to miss. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. And, and you still missed and you still right? missed. So it, it's, um, it's cool though. It's, it's all part of the progression, man. It's all part of, of watching new shooters and, and building them up to be successful. Like that's the, that's the whole goal is just building, build you up to be successful. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited because we got, let's see, we got uh, a couple of local matches coming up. Um, the summer is definitely here, especially in, in central Washington. We've had, we've had some temps that are tipping almost a hundred 
but it seems like it's backed off, which is kind of nice. I got a class picking up next week. And then I'm going to be in Billings, Montana, teaching an advanced law enforcement sniper course there for uh, Billings PD and some other surrounding agencies that are in attendance. And then we got some clinics coming up uh, the end of the month. We got a wind call clinic. We got a positional shooting clinic. And then, um, yeah, man, it takes us into August. So the summer's going to start going by fast and furious. I'm and pretty stoked. Season. Yeah, it's hunting season. So even here in, in Washington State, our bear season opens up um yeah august one so she can be out there chasing yogi as early as august one so um i'm pretty stoked i'm gonna go jump a flag for the fourth of july again up at uh, lake chelan so that's that's always a good time um and yeah man welcome to the summer uh I had Guy Fury this last week. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. How was uh, that? He can he can shoot, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if I should be talking about that because you know he's got like, two sides. Like we when he when he took class pick, um, he he didn't want to obviously the rifles in it just because he didn't want to offend his other half, which is which is completely normal, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm assuming if you're standing next to a gunwork sign, it's like. <laughs> It's the word gun yeah, I don't know it. what to tell you, man. Yeah, but he, he's a solid shooter. I mean, he's got good fundamentals. So, cool. Um, and it, I mean, I'm not sure if you're a, a follower of him on his food network, but I mean, he's just as enthusiastic and kind of just, I mean, the way he is, his persona, uh, he's the same way in person. You know what I mean? Super. That's cool. Cause yeah, super cool. Yeah. Being, I've been around that before and it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it's classes and, you know, just uh, looking forward to the the next chapter that uh, th- that holds us. Mm-hmm. Indeed, so. absolutely. But uh, hey, guys, uh, for everyone that's listening, uh, thanks for again all the comments. Thanks for all the support on on all the channels, man. Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you know, especially the guys that um, you know just comment on the thread that we were talking about this podcast around. Yep. You know, they're like, hey, you know, I love the content. We appreciate. And one thing to keep in mind is, is context always gets lost on social media, right? Just really because of the delivery of the message is not the same. So um, if it, if it, if it sounds arrogant, right, uh, you're going to know it's arrogant because I'm going to fucking like, I'm going to make it like, make it a statement, but typically, right. I, I try to make it as sincere as possible because uh, you know, going back to perspective, everyone has different perspective on, on certain information. So we appreciate mm-hmm. everyone's support. Um, give us a break on some of these podcasts, especially because it's the summer season. We want to try to get that information as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind our way of living is our classes mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. That's how we pay the bills uh, so that we can generate more content for you guys to be, you know, uh, so just, you know, uh, be mindful of that. But, uh, you know, our goal is at least once a week, we still post stuff on, on social media. So if you're new to this podcast, follow us on Instagram, uh, modern day sniper or uh, Leo uh, 0317 or Kalen 8541. Um, and again, if you're new to this podcast, go all the way back um, to the first podcast. And, you know, what you'll see is the sequ- sequential essentially of, you know, fundamentals and mindfulness behind the rifle and all these things that we wanted a sh- new shooter to be able to captivate so that when they got to episode 25, you know, we start talking about side picture and, and stuff like that. It's not all alien to you, you know, exactly. So, back to those episodes and stuff like that and uh th- thanks to everyone and kaylin good job on that uh, fundamentals of marksmanship um 
uh, online curriculum. That shit's bad. Oh, thanks dude. I appreciate yeah. that, man. That was a lot of fun to produce and, um, I just, you know, I enjoy it. So thanks again to all you guys out there. Yeah. We love you guys. We love the comments. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just all about, you know, growth, expansion, learning, and, uh, and having a good time while you do it. So just all you guys enjoy yourselves for, uh, for the 4th of July. Yep. We're going to try to get this thing up for the 4th. I think, I think, uh, our, our podcast editor is going to be able to do that for us. No problem. So again, guys, be safe, have fun, enjoy the 4th, happy independence day. Love you guys. Keep your face on the gun.